You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Jake Corley. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Welcome back to another episode of Oil & Gas This Week. You're listening to episode 170. That's That seems like a really high number. 170 episodes? Yeah, we're pushing 200, and we missed our 100th anniversary. Well, we missed, we didn't miss it. We were there, but we missed doing something cool with our audiences, with our fans, with our listeners. So we're going to try to do something special for our 200 episodes. So we got 30 episodes. What is that? Six months, <laughs> seven months to get this done? Or at our pass rate, two years for 30 episodes? <laughs> <laughs> and, and everybody, I'm making fun of Jake and I. We, we really are working really hard to get this thing back to a regular weekly kickoff. We're getting better at it. So just give us a little bit more patience. We've all just got so much going on. You know, we, we have so much going on in our end, you know, especially me and Colin with our businesses and you have a ton going on in your end as well. So I know we keep saying that we're hoping to get better, but I think we're both making moves to make our lives easier. And so hopefully we can be a little bit more regular with this show. <laughs> yeah. And speaking of regular the show, we got a review. If you would like to support this show and help us get back on track, the number one way you can is leave us a review. It takes a couple of minutes. It's a way for your peers to see that we are actually out here doing really good stuff. So if you can do me a favor, go ahead, leave one just like a uh, B caller one, two, three, four, five. That's a creative name uh, from the USA. Thanks for helping me get up to speed on the oil and gas industry and a fun, entertaining podcast. Boom. That's all you need to leave. Something like that. So uh, B-Caller12345, big shout out to you for leaving us a review. Please, if you want to help us, be just like B-Caller and go and leave us a quick review in iTunes or wherever you listen to the podcast. And Jake, this is we got some exciting news this episode, don't we? We do have some exciting news. So it's funny, between like, you know, I've been putting together show notes over the past few days. And so some of the articles are actually uh, talking about M&A. And then we had a, you know, there's been a lack of that, you know, especially in 2019 compared to 2018. And then we had one of the largest deals we've ever seen. So obviously, the first thing we want to talk about is Chevron has bought Anadarko Petroleum for $33 billion in cash and stock deal. Word on the street is the enterprise value is about $50 billion total. And so the transaction value uh, values Anadarko at $65 per share at 37% premium to Thursday's closing price. So this represents the 11th biggest Say energy and power company. That's kind of weird the way they phrase it. Uh, so it's the 11th largest deal that we've seen in long term. It's probably the biggest deal we've seen since probably the Shell BG merger in 2015, right? Yeah, it's this is an enormous deal. And we didn't know, but I suspected that we'd see some of this coming on. This is actually a little bit earlier. I thought it would happen toward, more toward the end of this year. But I mean, this is this is great for everybody. Although, Jake, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens because, you know, Chevron and Anadarko have two different cultures. But by Chevron doing this, they've now upped the ante. So they've just become, I think, the third largest uh, oil and gas super major. They were like the fifth. And so they passed up uh, almost everybody except uh, Shell and uh, Exxon. And I think we're headed towards something. If you listen to the show, we talked about this a couple of years ago, where where I think that some of the large super majors are going to become something even bigger. And I called called them mega majors. And I thought it was going to be uh, Shell and Exxon that just get literally so big at their reach and their leverage and their capex control was just going to be much more of a differentiator than their smaller competitors like the BPs and the Chevrons. Well, this is a game changer. You know, Chevron is acquiring Anadarko for a bunch of reasons. One is its uh, shale assets, its unconventionals, but also for the LNG thing. And if you've listened to us for any length of time, you know I keep saying that LNG is the fuel of the future. But what else is going on with this deal, uh, Jake? Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know what else is going on with this deal. 
<laughs> well, so one of the things that's going to happen is going to be a bunch of duplicities, right? There's going to be duplicities in job roles. There's going to be duplicities in acreage in plays. There's going to be duplicities in leases offshore in the Gulf of Mexico, in you know the North Sea, wherever these two companies have been operating. A lot of Africa, uh, Mozambique, and so it's going to be interesting. I think you're going to see a lot of business spun off and a lot of money to be made because of this acquisition. Obviously, uh, Chevron is going to need to get rid of some assets where it's duplicated plays and so the yeah, ability to come rid of like 10 to 20 billion dollars worth of assets yeah to make this deal make more sense yeah and also probably keep the doj off their back right because you know the doj has to approve this um, i don't see them having any big hiccup with it but at the same time you know you're gonna have some shifts in culture Anadarko is even though it's a big i think Anadarko is the largest or was the largest independent in the world even though it's a large company they run a very lean staff Anadarko doesn't like to have vendors. Anadarko likes to have partners. And I'll give you a perfect example. Anadarko is operating or getting ready to operate in some field in the Gulf of Mexico. And Anadarko will go to the, the subsea manufacturers, the FMCs and the Camerons and the Ackers and the GE Oil and Gas and say, hey, here's the specs on our field. You tell me what's the best setup. What tree, what plets, what manifolds do we need? Because this is your expertise. As opposed to Chevron who looks at people as vendors and has their own deep water engineers who will then design the subsea installation in the Gulf of Mexico, right next to Anadarko. And it will go to those same subsea manufacturers, the FMCs and the, the, the Camerons and say, this is what I need you to build for me. So it's two different approaches. The Anadarko approach I actually like a lot. You see a lot of their contracts are done with a built-in margin. So instead of being lump sum or you bid on the work, Anadarko agrees with its partners that, okay, you make 27% profit margin or 21, whatever no matter what. And that's a that's a very open and honest and trusting way to do business when you're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars. And then Chevron, once again, kind of does the opposite where they still do the conventional, you bid on work or you have a, you know line item costs or that sort of stuff. So two different cultures. Now, I'll tell you this much. I was around when the ExxonMobil merger went through and you talk about two radically different cultures and they managed to pull it off. So you know, the, Chevron and Andarka will make this thing happen, but it will be interesting to see the spinoffs that it causes. I think my biggest concern about this is, you know, you know, we we sit down a lot with a lot of startups and talk with them about, you know, who they're piloting with. Like Unique Ventures has a has a partnership with Arco, Hess, and Equinor. You know, now with Chevron coming in, it's my understanding that they're going to operate this. Like this is now going to become a part of Chevron. It's not going to like be like the Exxon XTO acquisition where XTO essentially has run independently almost, you know, for however many years. But now they're actually actually integrating XTO into kind of Exxon is, is kind of my understanding, especially with bringing those guys down to uh, Houston. But Anadarko has been, they've piloted just about any and every technology that we've seen, you know, kind of gain a little bit of traction in this space. They've piloted a lot of things that are straight out of Silicon Valley. I have so many startups that have no idea what they're doing in oil and gas. You know, they're like some Stanford guys or, you know, they're from California and they're like, yeah, we've been piloting with Anadarko, some some little oil company called Anadarko. And I'm like, yeah, you know, because, you know, they're piloting everything. But I feel like, you know, with Chevron buying them, my, my fear is that that spirit of, you know, hey, we want to try a lot of new technologies and stuff is going to go away. But I'm hoping for the best. And I'm hoping that their culture internally at Anadarko can influence Chevron just a little bit. Yeah. And actually, I'm glad you kind of brought that up because this is another trend that I've been seeing for a while that we, we don't talk about. But so, so you're absolutely right. Anadarko is much more nimble and open-minded than Chevron is. And, and I'm not dogging Chevron. I love y'all to death. Y'all know I do. But so you can see that change where those investments, even if it's not money, if it's just time, if Anadarko is sitting down talking to some startup, 
that's a much easier thing to have happen with Anadarko than it will be with Chevron, which is then to affect that market, that startup entrepreneur market in some ways. The other thing, Jake, is imagine if you and I had an oil and gas industry group like API or SPE or whatever. They're used to getting donations from Chevron and Anadarko. This is the same that you used to get donations from Schlumberger and Cameron. They were two separate companies. Well, now you don't. Schlumberger and Cameron's one company. So now that donation money has been cut in half to the energy insider groups. This is the same thing that's going to happen here. And I, this trend of consolidation will continue. So if you're an industry group out there and you have relied on the last 20 or 50 years for oil and gas companies to donate money, this consolidation is going to cut your income. And you need to find other ways to fund your industry organization. And I'm telling you now, none of y'all, none of the oil and gas organizations out there ever look at the tech companies for funding. And you should. And quite frankly, as this trend continues, you're not going to have a, a choice. I mean, you know, I sit on the board of the Houston chapter of the ABI, and we've had our funding cut because of these consolidations. And it's really hard to get my fellow board members to appreciate the fact that there's money made with other companies that are not oil and gas companies, but have an interest in oil and gas because it's a change in culture. And that's what's going to happen. So it's it's interesting. You know, I'm glad you brought that up is that that same thing that's going to affect the startup and entrepreneur world is going to affect other parts of our industry as well, if you think it through. And I think what's also interesting about this article is that, you know, it came out that Oxy also bid $70 a share for Anadarko, yet, like I said, it didn't work out. From from what I read, it had something to do with the way that Oxy was structured or there were some kind of like hiccups and stuff, but that would have made it a much larger acquisition had that gone through. But I still think that, you know, Oxy is still in the same boat as, you know, the Anadarkos and the Contras and everybody else in the Permian. You know, I think they're it's still a tier one operator, but I think Wall Street's still extremely upset with them along with everybody else. And so I think it does make more sense for the super majors to come in and, and buy these guys. Well, if, if you're a shareholder of Anadarko and, and forget about what the share price that was given on, on the day that everything traded, but long-term wise, because people tend to invest in these companies for a longer term view, who would you rather it be bought by Occidental or Chevron? You know, if you look at Occidental share price over the last five years, it's all over the place. And Chevron has moved a lot too, but it's much gentler curves. You can almost predict it because they're a much larger company and they have different parts of their operations. So when Chevron upstream is suffering, you know, Chevron refining is, is funding the rest of the company and they're doing okay. So from an investor point of view, I think this is a better deal that Chevron picked them up. It would have been interesting if Occidental would have because you would have then taken two large independents and actually throw them in the mix with the super majors. But they would still have that independent mentality, which I think in 2019, 2020 is a, is a very sought after trait, and especially on land. So it would have it really been interesting. It would have been a big shakeup. But since they didn't call you and me, since Oxy and Adarko didn't call you and me, ask for our input, they got Chevron. <laughs> they should have called us. All right. So this next article is a little bit now. I mean, it still holds true now that we're in the second quarter. All the facts are actually talking about the first quarter of 2019, but you know, it's titled Oil and Gas M&A uh, kind of grinds to a halt in the first quarter, which is true. So in the first three months, you know, we plummeted to a 10-year low you know, after the collapse of crude prices at the end of last year. So mergers and acquisitions in the first three months of this year fell to $1.6 billion, which is nothing. You know, it's a 93% plunge from the $22.3 billion during the same period in 2018. But obviously now with the Shell Anadarko, obviously that's in the second quarter. I think last year total, I think we were at um, $82 billion total for 2018. So with this acquisition, you know, that makes us a lot closer, but we still are less than halfway there to kind of match 2018. But I really do think we're going to see a whole lot more of what we just saw with the Chevron and Anadarko deal. 
Yeah, this is interesting. I, I, I don't have time to go check, to fact check this. This is from Drilling Info. Oh, no, it's not from Houston Chronicle. The data came from Drilling Info. But I'd be willing to bet this is only looking at upstream or maybe upstream service companies. We had a decent amount of pipeline uh, M&A activity the end of last year and the beginning of this year, you know, midstream stuff. Not a lot of stuff moving in the refiner in the downstream part of the world yet. I think that's coming. But the, the thing that's, that's interesting about this is I had – I don't know, when this uh, Chevron Anadarko deal was announced, I had, I don't know, 50, 80, maybe 100 people reach out to me and go, dude, didn't you call this with your predictions last year? And the truth is, I did not call that Chevron would buy Anadarko. What I said was that this year, we think there'd be some major consolidations and mergers and acquisitions. In fact, we think this year's going to be one of the biggest in history. We're not there yet. Let's see what's going. But just for the record, I did not predict Chevron's going to buy Anadarko. I said that we're going to have some major acquisitions this year. And so this is one of them. What else we got going on, Jake? All right. So let's talk about exploration a little bit. Global discoveries of conventional resources in the first quarter of this year have reached 3.2 billion barrels of oil equivalent. So the majors have reported more than 2.4 billion BOE discovered resources for the quarter. And ExxonMobil was the most successful out of those majors with three offshore discoveries accounting for 38% of total discovered volumes. Exxon's killing it. They've been killed too, and they, they've always done this. Their their exploration scientists and engineers are some, or not some, are the best on the planet, in my opinion. Um, they find finds that other people just miss completely, and they do it all the time. I do want to talk about this though a little bit. So there's there's some shareholder driven stuff going on, shareholder value driven stuff going on, on here. So if you're an operating company, even if you're super major. BOE, you'll hear that term thrown around, is barrel or equivalent. So it's it's measuring the power of whatever hydrocarbon getting out the ground and standardizing it, whether it's heavy oil, light oil, heavy gas, light gas, you know, uh, GTL, whatever. This way you could standardize what you're getting. And what Wall Street looks at and what shareholders look at is if you're an operator and you know that you have, and I'm going to make up a number, a billion barrel BOE that you own, right, that you have access to. That's something called barrels on a reserve, which is a legal term. It basically means how much oil can you get out of the ground. So it's not how much does the resource hold. It's how much does the resource hold that you have access to and what percentage of that resource with today's technology and process can you get out of the ground. That's your barrels on a reserve. And what happens is as an operator consumes those barrels under reserves, they need to replace them in their reserves, in their BOE, so that their shareholder value stays the same or in Exxon's case goes up because they actually found more. Now, if you think about the process I just rattled off, that tells you that no operating company out there is looking for all the oil and gas reserves that are on the planet. Nobody has the money or time to do that. They're only looking out forward five, maybe 10 years of what they need in the future. And the reason I bring that up is, is I have people tell me quite often that we're going to run out of hydrocarbons, which is not going to happen for a bunch of reasons. One is this exact process. So nobody has went out and discovered all the hydrocarbons in the world. Nobody. It's not worth your time or money. And if somebody did that today, next year, somebody might have a different technology and they'd find other hydrocarbons that the guy that did it today missed. So uh, this is this is something that's really important to understand the difference between BOE, barrels and reserves, how the operators work and how it affects their shareholder value. And, and like like you said, Jake, Exxon has just been killing it all over the world. And it's something they're just really good at. And, and they'll continue to do that. I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> 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 kind of like there for a second. <laughs> All right, up next. So Pioneer Natural Resources, I'm sure as a lot of you have heard, are looking to cut costs with what we would call kind of quote-unquote generous buyout offer. So they're looking to eliminate potentially hundreds of jobs with what has been described as a generous voluntary buyout offer to employees. Now, the article says about 300 jobs, but what we've 
heard is uh, about 650 actually. And the way that they kind of went about doing it was a kind of like a uh, voluntary retirement. So I think it was if you were over 62 years old in the office, you were offered retirement. And there was, I think it was over 55 in the field, you were offered the same. And so they were offering, uh, you know, a great severance package, but I think it was um, about 650 people total would be affected by this. But, you know, you got to look at it. At the end of 2018, they had 3,100, almost 3,200 employees total. That's a lot of employees for an EMP. It's most likely going to be a lot of redundancies and stuff. And they're really looking to improve capital efficiency and enhance shareholder value. And they're really trying to simplify the organizational structure. And so as a result, you know, difficult decisions have to be made. And, you know, a lot of these guys, especially, you know, they're working on the Permian, they should have no problem, you know, either finding new positions or, you know, kind of just enjoying their retirement. But, you know, it's just one of those things that kind of just comes with the business. Yeah. And I want to talk about this a little bit. So in any other industry, maybe I shouldn't say that in a lot of other industry verticals, so big box retail, tech, legal, medical, whatever, if a CEO or the executive manager team decided they need to reduce headcount, usually it's just a layoff. Here's Pioneer that could have easily just done a layoff and not spent much money going, no, we're not doing that. We need to reduce headcount and we're going to ask people to leave and we're going to compensate them for them because they're helping us and they've worked with us for you know 20 years or whatever. So kind of hats off them to instead of just laying people off, buying out the people they need to get rid of. You see this a decent amount in oil and gas. The thing is, it's never advertised. We don't honk our own horn and we need to do more of that. And here's a perfect example. I mean, this story is not new. I, know I could tell you company after company after company in the last five or six years have done the same thing. They just don't ever publicize it. So, you know, unfortunately, some people lose their jobs, but they're going to walk away with some money in their pockets, some some shares. And like you said, Jake, a lot of them, especially in the Permian, are going to have zero problem finding another job with a really good company. So, you know, here's Pioneer doing the right thing by its people, even in the times that they have to reduce headcount. So hats off to them. Yep. All right. Uh, let's talk about some uh, geopolitics a little bit. So essentially, Congress has been mulling uh, legislation about the new OPEC bill, which would allow the Justice Department to take antitrust action against OPEC for manipulating the oil market. As you know, I think OPEC is, is kind of important. I think they're becoming less and less important over time. But in the event that a bill like this was passed, like we talked about in the past few episodes, I think it could potentially be catastrophic. And that's what this is diving into. So oil globally is traded. I actually didn't know this. This is actually something new for me as I'm reading the article. Is actually traded all in U.S. dollars, and so they were talking yep. about potentially not trading their oil in U.S. dollars and trading in some other currency, which could have a lot of implications for our economy here. Yeah. So first thing is, this NOPEC bill is not going to get passed, and if for some bizarre reason it did, there's no way our current administration is going to sign this thing. And yeah, Jake, it's um, it's funny that that we've never talked about this before on the show, but almost the entire world, no matter what the local currency is, trades oil in U.S. dollars. And even in the countries like Nigeria that force you to do and trade oil in local currency, the quickest those companies can convert that to U.S. dollars, they do literally right there in Nigeria. It's the standard. Now, if you read this article, OPEC is saying a couple of things like they can undermine our financial system. That ain't going to happen. <laughs> it's not going to happen. We have the strongest financial system in the world for a reason. That's the reason every currency in the world is compared against the U.S. dollar. Even even if this went through, it's still not a big enough push to, to move that at all. You know, we have over four trillion, that's a T, trillion dollars worth of transactions happen in the U.S. with U.S. dollars every day. You, you just can't touch that by messing with the price of oil. However, once again, it's not going to get passed, not get signed. But if it did, then we're in a place where we're saying that we're going to sue OPEC member countries because they're a cartel and they're coordinating 
production either increases and cuts. Once again, we can sue all we want, but when you're suing another country, they don't have to respond. They're not here in the U.S. They they don't fall <laughs> under our laws or or anything else. I mean, it's no different than if nothing gets New Zealand. But if New Zealand sued us, we would just ignore it. It's a New Zealand lawsuit. It has no weight here in the U.S. And so this is just politics. This is you know OPEC rattling its sword, and unfortunately, a lot of times it's our current administration rattling its sword. But regardless. And regardless of what political side that you're on, and regardless of what you believe about hydrocarbons and world politics and money, we have to keep Saudi Arabia as, if not our friends, at least not our enemy. Um, I really prefer if they're our friends. So this isn't going to go anywhere. This is just people talking and talking. It's really nothing really could come from this. The Saudis are actually a much bigger part of our culture than people understand, especially when you when you really dive deep into who's investing into the largest tech startups out of Silicon Valley. You realize that you know you got these guys in Saudi, you got a couple guys in China, and a couple guys in Japan that are just some of the biggest players in the world that really do have their hands in everything. And so, let's play nice with these guys. Well, I'll tell you something else. If you understand history at all, a lot of what makes the U.S. culture the U.S. culture came from the Middle East in the very beginning. I mean, what number system do we use? Arabic number system, right? Our, our thoughts on science and philosophy, and even in a lot of ways, religion came from the Middle East. And so it's, you know, we have a long tie there that, and, and we've had our, trust me, I, I'm, I'm a bit of a history buff. We, we've had our issues, right? But, but a lot of what makes modern Western civilization, modern Western civilization started off in the Middle East. So, you know, like I said, this is just a bunch of stuff People talking crap, basically, but uh, nothing's going to come of this. But, but I, I, I agree 100% with you, Jake. It's um, the Saudis, especially the royal family, is investing a lot of money and time into a lot of uh, technology, not just here, but in Europe and in Asia Pacific and everything. They, they really are looking to move the needle forward. And whether you like the fact that it's a monarchy government or not, because there is a king and there's princes and everything else, when they say do something, it happens extremely quick. It's not like here where people have to prove it and vote on it and everything else. So they're, they're quick to move, even though they're, they're extremely large. So just keep an eye on what's going on here. But like I said, I, this NOPEC thing's not going anywhere. Yep. All right, let's end these stories on a happy note. Uh, Chevron is launching a $90 million venture capital fund. So this is actual this is their seventh fund for their uh, venture capital arm at Chevron. Um, so it's not like they're starting a whole new thing. It's just a whole new fund. So fund seven, $90 million. The money will be used to fund venture capital investment through, obviously, the energy industry. They're looking to make a lot of movement into a lot of renewable stuff. They're, going to, they're looking to invest in early to mid-stage companies uh, and limited partnerships. So they're obviously with anything with the CVC, so the venture capital guys, it has to be something that uh, can have an impact on their core business. And that's like really the main driver for them. And then obviously, if that can flourish and become a larger company, obviously, they can participate in some of the upside of that as well. But it's more so for the impact of the business themselves. And so Chevron Technology Ventures has made more than 90 investments over the last two decades uh, since it was founded. And yeah, that's pretty much it. And you know, it's interesting about that. So a lot of people don't know this, but a Probably about four years ago, maybe five years ago, Chevron sold off or spun off or got rid of a lot of its renewable fuel efforts. I never could quite figure out why. I'm sure it was a, a business, strategic business decision. But here they are actually standing up a fund to go back and reinvest in that. Now, the first round, it wasn't a Chevron a Technology Ventures that invested in it. It was actually the business units of Chevron. So it's going to be interesting to see if, if they're doing this as they normally do it, where they're looking for new stuff to help Chevron compete in the future? Or are they actually looking at doing this and see if they can make money at, at being a renewable fuels fund, which is interesting, which by the way, 
uh, one of our most requested new podcasts is Oil and Gas Clean Energy, Oil and Gas Renewable. We, we don't know what the real titles could be, but it's basically the intersection of, of our hydrocarbon market and our renewable energy market coming together with the major oil and gas companies. And we're looking for somebody to sponsor that show. So, it, you know, if anybody out there that's working for Chevron Technology Ventures as part of this new fund, reach out to me and maybe we can help you all find some of these, you know, new renewable technologies in, in that space. All right, guys, that about wraps up the stories for this week. We will try to be better and be a little bit more regular, like we've already said. All right, let's get on to the rest of the things. Huge shout out to our sponsor, IBM. These guys are awesome. Uh, Mark, we're doing a giveaway, right? Oh, we're doing an awesome giveaway. You know what's interesting, Jake? So we announced this. This is the second time we've announced a giveaway. We announced the first time the last show. Do you know we had 39 people sign up in the first 17 minutes? That's awesome. Yeah, I went back to look and like, oh my God, 39 people. So if you want your chance to win, just go to the show notes, click on the link. It's extremely easy. It's a bit.ly link, IBM hyphen OGTW on gas this week. But just the easiest thing is just go to the show notes and click on it. We're giving away one of a kind shirts. Now we spent big bucks on this. These are very high quality shirts. They have a patent picture on the front of a pump jack. One sleeve's IBM logo, other sleeve's OGGN logo. And the most unique thing is each shirt has a unique serial number. And they're also cut for men and women. So this isn't one size fit all shirt. And so these unique serial numbers make them instantly collectible. And we're going to use those numbers to give away something really cool. For example, you may hear me one day or Jake one day go, hey, whoever our shirt 270, you just want an all expense paid trip to Rio, Brazil with me and Jake to go check out IBM's uh, Innovation Center in Rio. So snap up a shirt while you can. Uh, the shirt comes in an OGG and Tumblr just because we felt like giving you a little something extra because we love you all to death. But do me a favor, go check it out. And when you sign up, you'll hit a thank you page. And on there, you get to see some of the cool stuff that IBM's doing in the oil and gas industry with artificial intelligence. So check that stuff out. But like Jake said, we love these guys at IBM. Thanks for sponsoring the show. Go register for the shirt now. We give away one a week and we're going to do this for the rest of the year. And now we're at the weekly rig count by Drilling Info. What's the number look like, Jake? We are at 1,057. Hasn't gone up, hasn't gone down. Pretty much just Good number. the same. Yep. And then we have oil and gas events. Uh, Jake, we got a new podcast we're launching called The Permian Perspective. Big shout out to Baker Hughes for sponsoring that show. We have the launch party in Midland, Texas on April 23rd. And we're also starting our Midland Happy Hour, monthly Midland Happy Hour, at the same time. So there's a link in the show notes. Go check it out. You get to go to the monthly Oil & Gas Midland Happy Hour, and this time it's free. So the first time we launch a happy hour anywhere in the world, the first time that you go is free. And after that, we charge at the door and we donate that money to charity. Here's your chance to go for free for the first time and also listen and watch the grand launch of the Permian Perspective podcast and socialize with all your oil and gas peers and friends in the Permian. We'll be there. Jake, you can't make it, can you? Uh, I'm not sure. Maybe we'll see. Yeah. So I'll be there. I think Paige from Oil and Gas Industry Leaders will be there. We have a Baker Hughes people there. We have the host. Uh, Chris is going to be there for the Permanent Perspective Podcast. So come check it out. Sign up. This thing will sell out. Uh, so sign up now while you can. And then we have our Houston's uh, happy hour. It's every, always the last Tuesday of the month. This month it's Tuesday, April 30th. We have a link in the show notes for that. Go sign up. We have a great time. Uh, we're going to have a spotlight on something really cool. And if you're interested in, in either of these happy hours as far as a sponsorship opportunity reach out to julie she'll share the details with you and we have more coming we're launching one in the bay area san francisco tulsa oklahoma lafayette louisiana pittsburgh pennsylvania boulder colorado dallas so yeah a bunch more new happy hours coming any place there's oil in the u.s that's on our target list and then jake you and i are speaking at the independent petroleum association of new mexico in their annual meeting july 24th 26th in albuquerque new mexico not only are we speak and not only are we doing a keynote but we're bringing this podcast there so if 
you want to come check out the podcast live and see how we do that and hear Jake and I talk about something really cool, come check it out. The um, IPA and M is doing some really cool stuff in New Mexico for the oil and gas uh, industry. And they're very forward thinking, not just that they're bringing us to do a podcast, but the way they fight the anti oil and gas people is very much a grassroots boot on the ground movement, which I love. So go check them out, support them. If you're in that part of the world, go join. It's not much money to join. A great organization doing great stuff. And then all these events and more you can find in my monthly oil and gas events newsletter. There's a sign up link in the show notes. We take all the oil and gas events plus stuff you may not know about and things like free tickets. So we gave out free tickets to OTC the last month. And I think there's free tickets to OTC in the in the neck, which will be May, a newsletter. But just go uh, sign up. We never spam you. It's a great way for you to stay informed. And then if you want Jake and I to come deliver a keynote or a podcast at your event, like IPA and or you want us to talk to your sales and marketing group, your young professionals group, your gun club, doesn't matter. Reach out to Jake and I. We're happy to share the details. And then as you know, we have the first Friday Q&A. Go to allgasthisweek.com. Uh, click on ask a question. If we use your question on air, you get a big uh, shout out. And Jake, remember how we were, only had one question last month yep. and we talked on the air? We turned on some type of valve. They're flying in every day. So thank you for everybody submitting a question. Don't slack off. We don't want to get back to where we're one. But for everybody submitting a question, I really sincerely appreciate it. Even if we don't get it on the air, keep those things coming and then at, if you're at our website anyway go ahead and give us your email address we won't spam you and then if you haven't joined the linkedin group go do that jake we finally have launched the street team julie's running that so we have about 172 people globally that julie is coordinating to help us with our social media so we start seeing much more unique valuable content on each platform if you would like to be part of our street team where you get really cool stuff cool swag you'd be part of our press team we don't ask for much we ask for an hour of work a week and if you don't have time to do it that's okay we let you slide but reach out to julie as well and just tell you, you want to be part of the oil and gas network street team Whew, that was a lot uh anything else jake that's it man all right let's get out of here remember folks do great work pay it forward and we will see you next time tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of oil and gas this week podcast a product of the oil and gas global network learn more at oilandgasthisweek.com. and